it was a very interesting exercise trying to produce this, this 10-week series because on the one hand, we had to try to explain what to the Baptists and the Pentecostalists what a lectionary is. And on the other hand, we had to try to explain to the Anglicans and the Catholics something about the freedom in the sense to go where we feel the Spirit is calling us and to try and bring those into this pattern of 10 weeks these 10 themes that encourage us to pause and consider something of the reality of Jesus and what that means for us as we journey forward in faith. And today, if you follow the, the lectionary, you come to the story of the baptism temptation as it's recorded by Mark. And that's going to be the the basis of our thoughts, and then a little later on we'll consider something of that, that passage of, from 2 Corinthians where we have those images of fragrance and incense of aroma and what they mean for us in response to what we've already considered. So firstly, something about baptism or the baptism of Jesus, which in a way was a point of creating momentum and the fact that every church in town has these banners outside saying do you know him is creating some momentum. Some within our midst have been accosted by, by friends and neighbours to ask what it's all about, what these signs are meant to convey, how the people beyond the church are meant to understand them and that therefore has enabled a conversation, has encouraged people to think about what we are about. And for us who are the church, that question, do you know him, is equally important as we consider something of how well we know Jesus, how well we are responding to his call and living his life. Mark is a genius in the way he tells his story. And unlike Matthew and Luke, who go into extensive detail, he tries to keep things quite short and sharp to make us think. So the story of Jesus' baptism is a bit more nonchalant in Mark's gospel. It doesn't have much of a preface. We run straight into it, and this picture of Jesus turning up at the Jordan to be baptised by John. And we remind ourselves that the baptism of John, of course, was all about the forgiveness of sins. What was happening in Palestine at the time is that John had appeared, if you like, from the wilderness, looking like a prophet, dressed distinctively, offering this message of hope, and seeming to either begun or brought into a process where people were coming to be baptised not as a sign of belonging, as we would understand it, but as a sign of their commitment to, to be forgiven and to live anew. And Jesus comes on the scene. And if you read the story, you don't quite get the picture of who hears and sees what Jesus is recorded as hearing is hearing. Whether it was everybody or whether it was just Jesus, Jesus seeing the dove and hearing the voice. But that, in a way, 
doesn't really matter. The key thing is that Jesus came to this point. Now, theologically, we believe that Jesus was without sin. And therefore, we need to ask ourselves what he is doing at this point when he comes and offers himself to John. Everybody else was there to say, I'm here to make a new beginning. I want to live in a different way. I've heard something of the message of God and I'm now committing myself to live and to seek to sin no more. But Jesus, who was without sin, comes and asks to be baptised. And I think the reason he does that is quite simple. In effect, what he is doing is saying to humanity, those who are there and those of us who followed on history, I'm showing my solidarity with you. I'm coming to this point, not because I am a sinner, but because I recognise the challenge that life offers to humanity. And here at this important point, Jesus is baptised, there are these great heavenly signs which would send the the Jews into great excitement because they would speak of the significance of this time. But Jesus ultimately is saying to us, I'm going to be one of you. Whatever has happened in the previous 30 years, about which we know so little, is set aside, and Jesus, in effect, is here, really, beginning his public life. And he begins it by humbling himself and doing what lots of other people were doing, and saying, now things are going to be different. He participates in this baptism that's all about the forgiveness of sins. And I suppose, therefore, we have to ask ourselves how we react to this. Remember the story of Jesus encountering the woman caught in adultery. He's waiting to be stoned and the crowd are, are sent away by Jesus' words. And the intriguing thing about that story is we don't know what happened to that woman. She went back into her life and we've no idea what impact that moment had on her. And I suppose it reminds us that when we make our points of commitment, when we come to church and make our confession and say, in effect, you know, we've put that behind us, we're going to try and live again, that as we move into the future, we know what's happening, but others don't necessarily gain an idea of that. But we recognise that the offer of forgiveness is genuine, is of importance, and is something that is hugely significant in our continuing journey and in terms of what we offer to the world. This process of do you know him began a few weeks ago in a meeting where the clergy invited themselves to reflect on, on this question. Or two questions about how did you meet Jesus, which is a, a question I suppose that we can all respond to. But then the question, 
what difference does it make? And my answer, and I don't claim this is necessarily the right answer, it's an answer, was that knowing Jesus gives me a sense of peace. Because I know however much I mess up, I can ask to be forgiven, and I can know the blessing of forgiveness. And I suppose in a way Jesus is saying as he comes to be baptised, here is the beginnings of blessings, and he invites us to respond. And from there, the Spirit drives him off, secondly, to be tempted. Louise will tell you that when we go on holiday, I am a terror in continental supermarkets because I look round all the sights and sounds and smells and I could fill our trolley, our basket, umpteen times over with my desire to try things. But the voice of reason whispers in my ear or more commonly stares me in the eye and dares me to put something in the trolley because it doesn't make sense. Temptation is a very human thing. I quite like the fact that Mark doesn't go into detail like Matthew and Luke do with the stories of turning uh, stones into bread and going up on the temple and being shown the kingdoms of the world. All that is set aside. And Mark just simply says, Jesus went out and was tempted because he knows that his readers know what temptation is. If I picked my microphone and went round the room and asked everyone here when they were tempted, I suspect everyone, if they're honest, would find an answer to say. It might not be the greatest temptation, but it's part of our experience. Whether it's eating something that you know that you shouldn't, whether it's telling stories about people that you know that you shouldn't, whether it's ignoring advice that you're given because you think you know best, whatever it may be, we all know what temptation is and we all know that at times we succumb to it. And so in the story of our Lord's temptation, we are reminded that Jesus knows what our life is like. Because we know that sometimes when we are tempted, we overcome it. We set our face and full of intent, we push that to the side and continue on a more appropriate pathway than where that thing might have taken us. We know, of course, at times we are tempted and we give in. But Jesus, in effect, is saying to us, this thing called temptation can be overcome. But it is an intentional act. We have to set our face and be determined to seek to overcome whatever it is that gets in the way of our being holy. Remember that story of the woman caught in adultery and what Jesus says to her when he lets her go. He says, go and sin no more. In effect, saying, go and avoid temptation. 
Stand against it. Deny its influence. Seek to be the person that you are called to be. So this Sunday in the church year, when we pause and consider this idea of temptation, is one when we need to remind ourselves that being a Christian, being a person of faith, is about striving to overcome those temptations that divert us from where we should be, that make us into people who we're not called to be, that reduce the potential for God's influence amongst us. And as we do that, reminding ourselves that the biblical story, beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden and continuing throughout the annals of the history that's recorded there, is a history, in effect, of people being tempted. Think of any of the great figures in the biblical story apart from Jesus and temptation abounds. The Methodist Church in June is inviting its people to reflect on the story of Jonah. And Jonah's story is laced with temptation when he gives in and when he does what God invites him to do. The stories here about how Jesus shows he is one with us, how he is one of us. And I always think the fact that he was tempted is one of the most encouraging things that we can hear. Because Jesus, in a sense, says to us, yes, this is how life can be. But if we are prepared to keep our vision focused, to keep our mind fixed on that which is holy, we have the opportunity to overcome. Jesus was tempted as we are. He knows our weakness. And he invites us to trust and to believe. It's a bit like when your children are learning to ride their bikes. And you come to that glorious point when you take the stabilizers off. And you run behind them saying, you can do this, and eventually you let go. And they cycle off into the distance, or at least hope they hoped it, hopefully they're rather than crumbling. But it's that belief that the child needs to be able to take it into the freedom of cycling without stabilizers. And here, in effect, is Jesus saying to us, here is the freedom, the choice to stand against temptation and to know that Jesus stands alongside us and will help us on that journey. So that if we build on the picture of baptism and temptation, the forgiveness of sins, the ability to overcome temptation, then we can move into the stage of being fragrant of being an aroma. You know what it's like. You, you walk into the house and there's a casserole in the oven and you're hit by that intoxicating smell and it draws you in. But you also know what it's like when you walk in somewhere and there is the smell of overboiled cabbage 
or overcooked fish and you want to turn and walk away. That's the image that Paul is putting into our minds when in this intriguing little passage he invites us to be a fragrance, an aroma, an incense. He invites us to be something offered to God. Now, I know that if I walk in somewhere and get a smell of coconut, I need to leave very quickly because it will make me ill. I sense that and I, I depart as quickly as I can. And that really is what Paul is saying to us here. We need to leave aside those things that create an unpleasant smell and find that pattern of living that creates something that's beautiful and attractive. Paul says, we are the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus. That where we go, by who we are, by what we say, we have the potential to show people the reality of Jesus and give them the chance to decide whether that's something worthy of following or whether they want to stand aside. Paul is quite clear. Some will prefer, prefer the, the smell of decay. They won't want to be intoxicated by this beautiful aroma. He reminds us that we're not about success. We're about faith. We are a community of hope who believe that when we strive to be the people that Jesus invites us to be, then it is more likely that the world will sit and take notice. We are the signs of Christ in the midst of the world. But we are weak and we need forgiveness. We are weak, we need help in overcoming temptation. We are weak and we need help in spreading and sharing the good news. A couple of weeks ago, Stephen Dawes said something along the lines, this is very true, that Jesus is our best clue to the reality of God. And I would want to add that to that and say, Jesus is our best clue as to the reality of what humanity can be. And these two little stories of his baptism and his temptations invite us to ponder anew who we are and to ask these important questions. Have we truly received the forgiveness that Christ offers to us? When we talk of Jesus as our Redeemer, our Saviour, what does that mean? And then secondly, to ask ourselves, what are the temptations that we 
individually need to overcome? Where do we need to put up a stand so that we can defeat the influence of whatever it may be? Because being a Christian is about intention. It's a desire to be different. It's a desire to overcome. And it requires an essential commitment based on this important fact that when Jesus came at the beginning of his public life, he identifies with us. By being baptized, by knowing temptation, so that the experiences that we undergo, Jesus has an understanding of those and invites us to rely on him in the hope that we can be fragrant. We can be beautiful. We can show ourselves to be the friends of the Jesus who identifies with us, who knows our deepest need and offers us a way through if we would trust and walk with him. Amen. So let us pray. Father God, we thank you that our Saviour Jesus humbled himself in his time here on earth. That he knew temptation and overcome it, overcame it. that he showed his willingness to walk alongside us. So help us, we pray, as we consider Jesus' touch and his ministry. That we might grow in our desire to be more like him. To stop making excuses and to strive to be the people he invites us to be in the hope that we will be a fragrant offering to this world and in your sight. Amen.